Thank you for tuning in to Tuolumne Community Baptist Church podcast. My name is Pastor George, pastor of the church here in Tuolumne. And first of all, I just want to thank you for taking the time to look us up, to find our podcast, and to listen. I'm so excited today. I'm moving into a sermon series that I have so waited for for so long. It's just the timing, and, and I'd never been released from the Lord to just finally go ahead and do it. And today is it. We're starting a series entitled David. I'm so excited. There's so much about David's life that should and will encourage you and, and apply, be able to apply to your very own life today. I'm going to allow the sermon, the podcast, to go all the way through, and, and today is our Communion Sunday. I would like you to enjoy communion with us. So as you hear the communion service about to start, grab yourself a little uh, sip of grape juice or water or whatever, a piece of bread, and just enjoy the, the communion sacraments together with us. Um, we want you to be blessed, and thank you so much for tuning in. The service is going to get started here in just a few minutes. Thank you, and God bless. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. I pray that the message that you put on my heart will go forth and reach the ears that you need it to reach. This one means a lot to me personally, but again, Lord, I got to say most of them do. Bless this time, Father. Allow me to get out of the way and you to use my mind and my voice. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm very excited with the way the Lord has directed me this week. We've concluded, as the Lord said to me, the series on <clears throat> Crucified Glorified, and we weren't anywhere close to being done. There were still several chapters we hadn't even got to, and it's not that we can't go back, because we can go back anytime. When the Lord leads and says, now it's time to go back, I will go back. But I was praying earlier in the week, I said, Lord, I, I feel a stirring in my heart, I feel a change on the horizon, what is it that you want me to do? And I continued to pray, and I continued to read, and, you know, waiting for his direction, and it came, and I'm so very excited we're going to start a series this morning entitled David, one of my all-time heroes. It's an amazing story, the story of David's life, and I think it's one that applies to us so today. I, I know personally, I can say that I don't try to compare myself to King David. He was just an incredible man. But I know what it's like to have a calling on a life at a young age because I had been prophesied over by Pastor Reverend Eddie Bigby. 
He was an evangelist. And he prophesied over me. And, and of course, it's easy. I could prophesy over everyone and say, you're all called to preach the gospel, because guess what? We are. And as he was saying that, he stopped, and he said, no, it's different. God is developing in you a pastor's heart. I was probably 15. It scared me to death because I had a problem. At 15 years old, I was illiterate. I couldn't read. I mean, I could read um, possibly Dick and Jane level, but I couldn't read. And I, everybody in the world tried to teach me to read, even my uncle who became a teacher, now long past retired, but he almost quit going to be a teacher because he couldn't teach me to read. And it's kind of before they really started, you know, analyzing and, and telling us that, you know, dyslexia was a real thing. And I think they knew about it, but they didn't know what to do with it. And I managed to get through school. I managed to graduate. I certainly didn't have a 4.0, but I graduated, which is pretty phenomenal when you consider the fact that I couldn't open a book and read it. Um, so all the other senses tended to kick in and, and tended to move. But I, all through my life, I said, Father, I believe this calling that you've put on my life. I know it was real. I was there. Do you realize when they anointed David to be king, that he was somewhere between 10 and 15 years old? Nobody really knows exactly. We don't have the dates, but he was somewhere between 10 and 15. He had a lot to go through. So let me try to set this up. It was, he was about 30 years old when he actually was appointed to be king. I mean, he was anointed at, let's, let's call it 15 years old, but he was 30 years old when he actually became king. So why did God decide to choose this boy to be the next king? And the answer is really a simple one. It's that God did not choose him because of his age, but it was because of his heart. He was completely devoted to God, and his devotion was David's. God's devotion was David's. Are we devoted? See, for David, it became a standard of living. It wasn't that he had just, you know, got saved and on fire for the Lord and everything's going. He had a standard set that he was going to live for God. And that's where we're to be. We're supposed to have a standard in our lives. We wake up. It's who we are. But too many of us tend to just think it's a Sunday thing. Then we go to church. That's what we do. But it's so much more than that. This challenges us to ask, what is our standard? Are we totally devoted to God as our standard of living? David always knew who he was, and he always knew who God is. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't that David thought more highly of himself because he did not. He was just very honest with himself. He never tried to become something that he was not. He was a shepherd boy and he was proud of it. He knew his responsibilities and cared well for those who were under his care. 
I'm not sure why God directed to end the series in Mark and move us into David, but he did. It could be that someone out there is feeling discouraged, and it could even be someone that's just under the sound of my voice listening to the podcast. It doesn't even have to be anybody in this room. But somebody needs to hear this message. God has called them. Have you ever... Have you ever felt that you were called by God? And then you knew that at some point you, you just felt it, but you don't know where this calling has gone. We're going to be looking at this confident, humble nature of David. David was not perfect, but he was human, and he was subject to human emotions just like the rest of us. Satan is hard at work to destroy you and your calling, and if he can't destroy it, he's sure as heck going to distract it, because that's what he did in me. He could distract it. He couldn't destroy it. It was in me, and I knew that it was in me. I'm so ashamed to even tell you this. I can remember sitting in a bar. I can tell you the time and the place with my brother, my physical brother, and I said, you know that I'm called of God. We're drinking tequila. He says, I know. What am I going to do with that? He said, I don't know. But I can tell you one thing I know. It's going to come. It was words spoken that I couldn't believe that my brother actually spoke. So you can get distracted from the calling of God on your life, and, and that Satan wants to get you to believe that it was for naught. That was just some, you know, that guy, anybody could say that. You don't have to believe the anointing that's been placed upon you. You don't have to buy into it. We're distracted. And your calling begins to go nowhere. And if you're going nowhere, you are no threat to Satan. He will gladly leave you alone while you're comfortable in your distracted Christian life going nowhere. So let's get into the story. The story begins with King Saul having trouble within himself. I think that people sometimes think that Saul was always this arrogant, pompous, self-centered narcissist, and he was not. He was a good man. Happened to stand head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He looked like a king, and that's what the people wanted. The people chose Saul. God anointed him because it was their choice. And I, I could just see God shaking his head going, really? He was chosen by the people and anointed by God to be king. The people loved him. He looked like a king should look. Too often, this is how we decide someone's character by how they look or even what others may say about, about, about you. Too often this is where we get hurt because they're seeing someone that we're not. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm not going to have time today to read all the way through, but if you have time, sit down and read 16, 17, and 18. It's you won't be able to put it down. If you haven't read it, I know most of you have read it, but if you haven't, sit down in a quiet time and start reading it, and you won't be able to put it down. It's like, wow, God is so amazing. 
the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? How long? See, Samuel had anointed Saul, and he was mourning over the... There was this thing that had just happened where Saul was told to go out and kill everything. But he didn't. He saved the king. He saved the fatted calves. He saved... He didn't do what God had told him to do. And Saul caught him in the act. And God said, that's it. I'm rejecting him. We're going to put the anointing on someone else. This is the point that you really need to know. You can be in leadership and not have the anointing of God on you. Okay? Saul was going to continue to be king for near 20 years without the anointing of God upon him. You've got to understand that. Having the anointing doesn't necessarily mean that's your position. So he says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons. Notice he didn't say which son. God could have gave him and said, hey, there's a boy named David in Bethlehem. Go anoint him. But God didn't. I think there's so much part of this story that God wanted us to see in the decision-making factor. He wants us to see how we look at people and how we make decisions. Man, just think about it. If I were God, I could save the kingdom of God a ton of money. I'd just tell him straight out, go anoint that boy. The one over there, the one, the shepherd boy, the one that's out in the field, that's the one. But God didn't do it that way. He didn't do it that way. He says, go. But Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears about it? He will kill me. Because Saul would look at it as a betrayal. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. This one could catch me some, some flack here. Did God not just use situational ethics? Did he not? That isn't why he was going there to sacrifice to the Lord, but he said, this is the excuse to use, and Saul will never know. He used a situational ethic, and I'm not saying that's what we should go around doing, but he did. He said, take a heifer and you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I think God is just so amazing. It is so amazing. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord had said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. Samuel was an incredible prophet of God. I mean, believe me, when he was traveling, there was an entourage he, Samuel was no small thing. He was a big thing. And they trembled when they saw Samuel. And Samuel said, you're out, you're out. And they were concerned that Samuel's coming to town, to Bethlehem, little old Bethlehem. There's, there's nobody here. They trembled. When they met him, they asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, 
Samuel saw Elib and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed one stands before me before the Lord. Can you imagine the first one across? Samuel put the best-looking one up there first. Hey, take Elib. He, he is the one that's got all the personality. He's the one who's good-looking. He's tall. He's strong. He's a warrior. Take a look at him first. Look at what God says. This is so incredible. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Aren't you glad God said that? Amen. Amen. He do not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Thank God that, you know, it could be the second bankruptcy. It don't matter. It could be the second divorce. It could be the third time you've, you've been clean and free from drugs. God doesn't care. He looks at the heart of a man. Like we put labels on him. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the her, uh, yeah, she's the one about that tall, about that big. And she's got an attitude. No, you don't want to talk to her. That's, that's what we do. We look at the outward appearance. We don't look at the heart. We can't see the heart of a person. And God was making it so clear. Don't you be doing this. That is so good. He's not looking at, at my degree or the lack thereof. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get one, but it's not what qualifies you for the anointing of God. Hard times, divorce, bankruptcy. People may say you're disqualified. That makes sense. The people pick Saul, right? That's what happens. Let's look at verse 8. Then Jesse called Adinabad. I just said the name fast because I can't pronounce it. It came out pretty good, too. And he had passed in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chose this one either. Jesse then sent Shemaiah, passed by, and Samuel said, nor the Lord has not chosen this one. I could just see Jesse going, Dad, gum it! My kids are a bunch of losers! Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked, Are these all your sons you have? And listen to what Jesse says. They're still the youngest. He is tending the sheep. Notice some things here. Jesse didn't even call him by his name. His own dad. Didn't even call him by his name. He called him by his situation, by what he does. He's a sheep herder. That's what people do to you. They, they look at what you do or the lack thereof of what you do and they begin to judge you. But God doesn't see it that way. And the point of this story is we need to develop a heart like David's because there's a reason why God loved David so much. You know, reading through these chapters, I, 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 it says, the Lord was with David, the Lord was with David, the Lord was with David. I said, Lord, why were you always with David? And he smiled back at my heart and he said, it's easy. He was always with me. 
He was always with me. That's where we need to be is with the Lord. You got 10 minutes, Tim. I'm watching for you. His wiener dog's about to run. <laughs> got to let him go. You're going to share in those winnings, right? Everybody in the country heard about this now. Okay, where am I at? Um, so Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Can you see the other seven brothers? Ah, oh, man, I'm hungry. We got to wait for him to come all the way out. Yeah, yeah. So that's what they did. They sent for him. He sent for him and he brought him in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took his horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Then David, then Samuel, sorry, went to Ramoth. Point number one, you're approved in private. God approves you by the condition of your heart. You're approved in private. It's an interesting thing here. Wouldn't you think, I was a 15-year-old kid just anointed with oil in front of all my brothers, and hey, Samuel, where are you going? I'm going to Ramoth, and I'm going back to the palace. Hey, take me. I need a ride to the palace. He was just anointed to be king. Wouldn't you think? What would be the next move? I mean, he's 15 years old, and he's anointed to be king. Man, I want to be the you know, the youngest king Israel ever saw. I'm going to go up there and kick that Saul guy out. That wasn't in David's heart. David was now anointed to be king. So what happened next? He didn't catch to ride with Samuel. He needed to, he didn't need a lift to the palace. He went back and tended his sheep. That was the last thing that God had told him to do. He didn't go to the palace and apply for a job. He went back to what he knew how to do, what God had called him to do. How many times that we, you know, we're, we get involved in a ministry area of the church, we're taking care of the kids, we're taking care of the kids, and pretty soon you're thinking, you know what, I'm called to go be on the worship band. And, and you leave behind. That's why the church becomes a mess. Because people think, well, I'm being called to do this, I'm being called to do that. Well, if God is calling you to do it, there's a process to that calling. You need to finish the last thing that he called you to do. You need to finish. You need to take care of the calling that is now on your life. That's what we need to do here. The last thing God told him to do was take care of the sheep. He had a job, tend the sheep and practice playing the guitar. Well, I know, I know, they called it a lyre. I call it a guitar, okay, whatever. It was a stringed instrument. That's what David did. He was taking care of the sheep, and to keep the sheep calm, he played music to them. And he continued to do that. That's what he did. But listen how incredible God is. Point number two you got to be an answer to a problem. 
So let's look at Samuel 16, 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Man, does that blow you away? Let me try to explain that a little bit. An evil spirit from the Lord, that is, by God's permission, who delivered him up to be buffered by Satan, troubled him, stirred up in him unruly passions such as envy, rage, fear, despair. He therefore became unfit for business, being sometimes melancholy or furious and distracted and always full of anxiety and solitude of mind. This is not a place where you want to be. Even the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5.5, he said, hand this man over to Satan for destruction of his flesh so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. You tempt God enough and you keep rejecting God enough, you'll be handed over to Satan. He didn't say you wasn't saved. It's going to cost you your life. Bad things are going to happen. Bad things are going to come. And we need to pay attention. So this is what was happening in Saul's life now. He's, his anointing has been taken off. God has allowed the evil spirits to come into the palace. Saul's attendants asked him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre, the guitar. He will play when an evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul and his, said to his attendants, Find someone who plays and bring him to me. Oh, listen to this. If this doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know what's the matter with you. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the guitar. He is a brave man, a warrior. He speaks well and is fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. David didn't have to apply for a job. They sent for him. He didn't have to go and say, hey, I'm the next anointed one. I need training. You got to put me in college. It's got to be a king college. Come on. You got you to send me. No, he didn't have to do any of that. He just kept doing what he has to do. Perfecting his trade. Perfecting the gifts that God had given him. He's playing the guitar and these guys heard him out in the field. Verse 19 says, Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send your son David, whom is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and skin of wine and a young goat and sent him with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered in his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. David now has a job in the palace what did David do to get it? He just kept doing what God had called him to do. He stayed in the presence of God, and he did what God had called him to do. He continued to practice. He continued to take care of the sheep. You know, it was during this time that he killed a bear and a lion. It was the anointing of God that was upon him. A man go kill a bear, take the sheep out of his mouth. You tell me that's not an anointing. 
God was doing something. He was preparing him out there in the field. He taught him how to use that slingshot, whatever it was. He taught him how to do that. It's incredible if we would just wait on God and stay in God's presence. So here we are. Come on, eyes, get back on. Verse... uh, 23, 23, whenever the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, David would take up the lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. Tell me that's not a gift from God. That we can sit and listen to music and find peace. That it will actually drive out evil spirits in our house. It's a powerful message. It's a powerful message that we need to realize that music is a gift from God. Then Saul, uh, I'm going back up, it looks like verse 22 here. It says, then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service for I am pleased with him. Whenever the spirit of God came upon Saul, David would take up the lyre, his guitar and play and then relief would come. We need to be an answer to the problem. And David now is becoming the answer for King Saul. They didn't have a problem finding David. Why? Because he was doing his job. If you were doing the last job God has called you to do, we will know where to find you. It's so vital. It's such a principle that we have to get hooked onto. Too often people say, well, I'm called to preach. I need to be up on the platform. I'm called to preach. You know what? Until you get down here and start doing the things that you need to be doing down here, you can't do them up there. You've got to learn how to love while you're down here. You've got to learn how to communicate and be with people and do the things that you need to do while you're down here. That's what God was doing in me all these 50 years. He was preparing me. I'm a slow learner. It took me a little time. But now I can come up on the platform, and it's not about me. It's what God has done in me. You have to understand there's more to it than just getting up on a platform. David had the answer to Saul's immediate problem. He brought comfort. Maybe it's time that you be the answer to someone else's problem. You know, maybe you got somebody at work that is just absolutely horrible to you. Just absolutely horrible. No, Pastor, you don't understand. You know, but she is just mean to me. No, I'm not going to talk to that woman. No, I'm telling you, you need to go to that woman come Monday and you need to say to her, what can I help you with? What concerns you the most with what we do? How can I provide for you comfort in this job. You'll be amazed at what God will do for you. When you start taking a different approach, just thinking, oh, I can't, you're just biding the time. I hate being here. Well, why don't you try being the answer to the problem? Let's go to Samuel 17. Samuel 17, 14 says, David was the youngest and three elders Three oldest followed Saul. 
But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. He didn't even quit then. He said, Saul, I can play music for you whenever you need me, but I got sheep to take care of. I've got a job over here in Bethlehem. I can make it back and forth. And David would come to the palace and he would do his thing. He'd play his music. Playing in the palace, man, this is prestigious. He was an armor bearer. He was one of the guys that carried around Saul's armor. He had a prestigious job and yet he continued to go back. See, how often do we never want to go back to what we know how to do, what we can be a help with? We need to be able to go back and do the things. We may say, well, I'm a pastor now. I have to go down and take care of the kids below me. You have no idea how much fun I would have if I could go down there and take with care of the kids. Sean, you better start practicing preaching. So I can go down and take care of some kids. It's important that we're able to go back and do the things that God has trained us to do. Again, we see David here still caring about his father's sheep. He doesn't just quit his job, he does both. There's a principle here we need to understand. Until God anoints you to the position, stay where you're at. Stay where you're at. Do what God has called you to do. Just stay where you're at. It's so important. It would have been so easy for David to get a little big-headed. Hey, I'm playing in the palace, knowing that he was anointed to eventually be king. Think about it. He didn't have to go back and forth and help his dad with his sheep. His brothers were in the army, and he was one of the king's armor bearers. David remained humble, and he didn't let the palace go to his head. So now let's move to verse 17. Then Jesse said to his son David, Son, I'm going to paraphrase, it's all right there. I want you to take some grilled cheese sandwiches out to your brothers. Okay? They're over there at war with the, with the Philistines, and they're on the front lines. And I want you to take over. I mean, he, he did. They took loaves of bread and, and hurry, and, and along with ten cheeses, Cheese sandwiches, man, grilled cheese. They were take, see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance for them. See how they're doing. Make sure they're safe. Couldn't you just see, if it was me, see, I told you I'm not like David. I'd have said, dude, I ain't your Uber feeds. I play in the palace. What are you talking about? I, God has called me to play my guitar and soothe the king. What are you talking about? I'm not going to take food out there. Imagine had David done that. He would have missed the greatest opportunity of his life. The one that God had actually called him to. But he was so humble and so submissive. It would have been easy for David to say, no, man. I'm too mighty. I'm too good for all this. Point number three, obstacles and opportunities. There's always going to be obstacles. We need to make them and realize that there are opportunities. 
There are opportunities for us to succeed. There are opportunities for us to improve and to learn and to grow. Imagine how different David's life would have been if he had said, sorry, Dad, I'm just way too busy. I need to stay here and do what God has called me to do. Instead, David never forgets his humble beginnings and remains obedient. So 2 Samuel 17, 20 says, early in the morning, this is so profound. Listen to this. Early in the morning, David left in the care of a shepherd. Left the flock in the care of a shepherd and loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions shouting the war cry. Imagine, David didn't just leave the sheep. He got someone to cover for him. David, the soon-to-be king of Israel, got someone to cover his job. He just didn't take off. He said, Dad, i got to get somebody. Go ahead, get, get the kid down the street. Let him watch the sheep. And he goes... It's an incredible story. But this is a big problem with the church today. Oh, I'm called to go over here. But everything you've been working on over there is falling apart. It's a messy business in the church, but it's happening all the time. God is a God of stewardship. He expects us to finish what we start. If you're marked, are you marked by God? Yes. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're marked. You're His. I know you. I can say that so boldly. You're marked. So what happens? We have a little bit of time. I didn't even do any more scriptures. I got tired last night. So I'll paraphrase it. You guys, like I said, go look 17, 18, and 19. 16, 17, 18. David gets there, and he hands the food over. He says, what are you guys doing? And all of a sudden, he hears this guy, this giant of a man, out in the field spewing blasphemies towards his God. And David hands over the food, and he goes, what did that guy say? What, what's that guy say? Oh, he's been doing that for 40 days and 40 nights. And you guys haven't done anything? Are you serious? Go take that big uncircumcised, those were cuss words back in those days, that unblankety blank, blank, blank. Take him out. Take him out. And they said, oh, as soon as he come out, all of Israel would fear and tremble because they had such fear against this man. And then some guys were talking. You see, this lets you know that David's human. They were talking. And they were saying, hey, do you know whoever gets to go kill that giant, the king will give him his daughter to marry and his family, not just him, but his family won't ever have to pay taxes anymore. And David overheard this. He overheard this. And he goes, what did you just say? The king's going to do what? The king will do what? And so they began to repeat it. He's going to give him the daughter his daughter to marry, and, and his whole family won't have to pay taxes. I could see David's thinking. He's going, my dad won't have to pay taxes ever again? That's a big deal. 
And so he started talking about it, and then one of his brothers, his big, mighty man brothers, goes, Hey, what are you doing talking to those guys? You're just a little runt. What are you doing? Why, who's watching your sheep? You come out here just to see the battle. Yeah, I know your heart. How wrong he was. And David says, what? I can't even talk now? Read it in your Bible. It's there. He says, I can't even talk now? Seriously? And David completely ignored his older brother, and he went back and talked to the guy. What did the king say? I'll get a wife, and I'll get taxes free for the rest of my life and my family too? Yeah, that's what he said. And he goes, I'll take him out. And these guys went and told Saul what David had said. So Saul says, send a boy over here. And I, I, could just, I could just imagine. I'll use you, Sean. You're the youngest here. My son, son, you. All right, Julie. I'll use Julie. Daughter, there's no way you can handle this. I'm sorry, but you're too young. This beast has been fighting his entire life. He's been training his entire life. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do, Julie? Are you going to go out there and face that thing? He said, yes. As a matter of fact, I have been trained. I killed a lion, and I took the lamb out of his mouth. I took, I took him by his beard, and I stabbed him, and I killed him. And by the way, God's got me pretty good with this slingshot and a rock. I was able to take a bear out. If I can kill a lion and a bear, surely I've done it. I've been there. I can do this. God is with me. God can do this. And Saul says, kid, you're crazy. Julie, you're crazy. You can't do this. So they begin to put all of Saul's armor on him. You gotta, this is hilarious. I can't, I can't wait to get to heaven. I want to see the replay. They put all the armor on little David, and he couldn't move. He's like this. And he says, I, I can't go out there like this. And he took it all off, and he grabbed his staff, and five smooth stones and his sling. That's all he took. And he went out there. And this beast began to pick on him, saying, What, am I a dog? That they're going to send Julie? They're going to send Julie to come out here and fight me? Seriously? What are you going to do to me, Julie? You know, can you see it? Can you put yourself out there? And David says, surely as my God lives, I'm going to kill you today. I'm going to cut your head off. And I'm going to let the birds of the air feed on your body. Big guy. That's what Julie said. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll take care of it because God is with me. And the giant began to move towards David. And David runs towards the giant. You know, if he had gotten anywhere within arm's reach, that giant would have took him out. But he stopped just in time, put one stone, one stone, and hit Goliath right between the eyes. To the point, the Bible says, the stone sunk into his head, and he fell down face forward into the dirt. I don't believe he was dead yet. I believe he knocked him out cold because the Bible says then David takes Saul's sword, which probably was bigger than he could hardly handle, and killed him. 
not Saul's sword, Goliath's sword, and killed him, and then cut his head off and carried his head back to Saul. Don't tell me that God can't use you. Don't tell me that God isn't in a place of preparation, building your life, preparing you for whatever the future has to come. He's preparing us, and we need to do our jobs, not just attend church. We need to do our jobs as if we're, tra- we're in training. We're working on something here. And you know, maybe if it isn't someone here, maybe it's someone that's out there listening and thinking, I, I, I used to have a calling of God in my life, but I got divorced. And now I'm raising three kids alone. And, and what am, what am I going to do with that? You know what? God is at work in you. That anointing hasn't left. You need to get over it and get back to work. You think that you got knocked down. You're not knocked out. You need to get back up. That's my message is to get back up, to get back into the game, to not quit. Because, you know, the worst things in life that hit us are always things that you cannot see. They're always the things that you cannot see because we don't prepare well. I'm going to tell you this one quick story, and then I'm going to have a communion. Is I have one brother. His name is Steve. He's a great guy. He's two years older than me, um, even though I call him my younger brother. But he's two years older than me. When we were kids, he was, he was tough on me. He made me tough. Okay, he'd, he'd just whoop on me all the time. Everybody have a brother that whoop on you? you know, like, yeah, brothers do that. They whoop on you. And we lived out in the country and you know, outside of Lodi, and there was a, a walnut orchard there right next to where we lived. And he would pick the green walnuts that still have the thing on it, and he would throw them at me. Now, my job was to run. Yeah, I know. It was, it was horrible. I have nightmares of this. He would say, run. My brother was way more athletic than I. And I would take off running. And as long as I would look back, if I could see it coming, I could dodge. I could duck. But he would wait until I wasn't looking. I'm on a dead run. And I'd even do zigzags. And he'd beam me right in the back of the head. That's what's wrong with me today. He would beam me in the head, literally knock me over off my feet while I was running. I would start to cry. I'm going to tell mom. He said, you do. I'll do it again. So I wouldn't tell her. Sorry, mom. The worst things that come are the things that we don't see coming. We need to pay attention to our surroundings. We need to be prepared and trained. And that's what God is doing in our lives, is preparing us and training us to be ready because the tough times are coming. Our Goliath is going to be standing before us. Are we going to run and hide? Well, maybe our Goliath is is a bad doctor's report. You're standing there. You've got a report of cancer. What are you going to do? Are you going to say, my God is a great healer and he can heal me, so he chooses? If not, I get to go to heaven. Hey, we can't lose. And we need to have that security in our hearts, in our lives. If he takes me out with some kind of disease, praise God, I get to go home. I am not worried about it. My God is a great healer. My God can extend the days of my life if he chooses. 
That's what God does. Joe, could you please come to the piano? And I would like to have some communion ushers. I did not pick any. Thank you, men. I'm looking at a note that my uh, wife handed me. And uh, thank you. She said that uh, she got a phone call this morning from Teresa Beaudry, and uh, they're okay but they need our prayer. She's struggling hard with his sight, with her sight, and Bill is not sleeping, and that just wears on you. So while we take communion, we will remember them in prayer, amen? Take these implements out and pass them out. We will pray all at one time. Hold on to the implements until we get them all passed out. God has been so good to us. But we need to remember who's in charge. He uses each and every one of us. And you know, sometimes, Mom, we get old and we think that we're not of no use, but it's a lie from the pit of hell. God uses you. You encourage me. And you encourage others. We think I'm too old. I can't do anything, God. What do you want me to do with this anointing? Do what you do. Encourage the people around you. It's what we do. You need to take one up. I'm allowing the podcast to run through communion because I'm telling people out there that if they couldn't be in church today, that they can take communion with us. They can listen to the sound of my voice. They can hear the piano playing. So to those who are listening, I say go get a piece of bread and a glass of water, a little bit of orange juice, I don't care, whatever you got. Father, this little piece of bread represents your broken body. Of everything you did for a guy like me. I wasted so much of my life, Father, on foolishness. But you never left me. You never forsook me, just like you said. So I will do this for all the days of my life to remember and never to forget what you have done on the cross for us. Take and eat this bread.
go ahead and just take these out. I realize the music's playing and someone's coming to hand you a little a little cup of grape juice, but if you can just focus on the music. Remember what Saul was going through. He was tormented by evil spirits in the palace. And when David would come and play music, it was soothing. I'm so blessed I get to come home after a stressful day and I get to hear this. And it changes me. It changes me. Because I know it's of God. So listen to the music. Allow it to help drive out the evil spirits, the things that are tormenting you in your house. Thank you. Thank you, man. Just close your eyes for a minute and listen to the sound of the music. And understand this, God is not done working with you. Maybe things didn't go the way you thought they would go. Maybe your marriage didn't go the way you thought it should go. Maybe you're not doing the job that you feel like you should be doing. And you're saying to yourself, God, where are you in this? And God is speaking right back to your heart. And he's saying, I'm right here, right now. I just want you to believe that I love you. Father, I thank you for this little bit of juice that represents the blood of Christ. It's the blood that washes us clean. It's not anything that we do. It's not about coming to church. It's not about the goody-goody things we do for the church. It all has to do with you and what you've done for us. We remember this today, Father, in Jesus' name. Take and drink. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this place today. Help us to develop a, a heart like David, one that remains humble and remains faithful to what you've called us to do. Help us to remember that David was always with God. That's where I want to be, Father, is with you.
not just on Sundays. I want to be with you throughout the week. I want to be with you while I'm at my regular job. I want to be with you when I go fishing. I want to be with you when I ride my motorcycle. I want to be with you all the time. And I pray that's a prayer for every single person in this house today and all those listening out there. Bless this church. Bless this congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As typical, I will stay here. If you need prayer, please feel free to come and pray, but you are dismissed.